I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24, Genesis chapter 24, I'll begin reading in verse 1, Genesis 24 verse 1, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who ruled over all that he owned, Please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites from among whom I live, but you will Go to my land and to my kin and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Shall I indeed take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware lest you take my son back there. Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kin... And who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him, Concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he went with all kinds of good things of his master in his hand. So he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time. The time when the women go out to drink, to draw water. And he said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, please cause his, cause this to happen before me today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the city of the, the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the young woman, the young woman to whom I say, please give me, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And she say, drink and I will give water to your camels to drink also. May she be the one to whom you have decided for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to your, to my master. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that as we unpack these, these verses, that you would just give insight, help us to understand, and help us to be able to apply these things to our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at the end of the service last week, uh, I laid down this idea, the idea that God is the one who, who labels us. We live in a day that's wanting to just uh, uh, self-identify. We'll identify our 
our gender. We will determine our race. We will even establish our own history. Things that we really can't change. Things that God has placed on us. We live in a day that that they want to change those things that, that really can't be changed. But God is the one who labels us. He first labeled us as sinners. That we are sinners before Him. And then He labels us, those who accept Him, put their faith and trust in Him, turning from their sins. He labels them redeemed. And then He labels them slaves as well, or servants of His. Now, no one's going to self-identify as a slave. We just don't do that. We don't yield our will to another person, another, another's will. Without good reason, or give ourselves over to somebody else, God is the one that has the privilege of labeling us, and He has labeled His believers, those who put their faith and trust in Him, He labels us as servants. As servants. That's what He has done. Now, what makes us servants? Let me give you four things, and uh, we see them in the introduction there. Four things, just a, a quick, and I mentioned this last week, but just, just to remember, just to remind you, that we're slaves by way of creation. That God created us to serve Him here on this earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're slaves by way of redemption. He purchased us. He bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. He redeemed us. In 1 Corinthians six twenty. Number three, we are slaves by the fact that God has placed Christ Jesus over everything. Everything is now under Him. He is Lord. He is King. We just recognize that and acknowledge His rule on, in our life. Number four, we then, we are slaves because we voluntarily submit ourselves. As believers, we submit ourselves to Him and His rule in our life. In fact, John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says, By this you will know that you have come to know Me. How do we know Him that we know Him? How do we have that assurance? Is if you keep His commandments. If you've voluntarily submitted yourself under the King that's over this world. That you obey Him, submit to Him, and acknowledge His kingship over your life. And then, so every Christian then is a servant. You have been labeled as a servant of God. A slave is a, is a better term. It's a more accurate term than the term that's used in Scripture. And it's, and it's not that, that uh, well, the, the, the good Christians, the really... Uh, Christians that that are effective, they're they're servants of God. They're up here, and everybody else is kind of low-level servants. No, we are all servants of God. There's no second-class servants. We're all servants of God. And to be a Christian, that's what it is, to be a servant of the Most High God. I love that phrase. That's an important phrase. We're servants of the Most High God. The emphasis is not upon the servant, but upon the Most High God. Now, Here's the thing is we need to live from that perspective. We have to see ourselves from and live according to his desire for us. And so every Christian, and that's the, our principle, every Christian then should, should strive to be a good servant of God. That, that's the, the direction of our life. We, 
They're striving to be a good servant of God during our time here on this earth. Now, what is a good servant? That's a natural question. If we are wanting to be good servants, then what is a, a good servant? What, what's going to shape our understanding of servanthood? Because we don't really have that in society today. We, we don't have servitude and slaves in our society. So what's going to shape that? It must be Scripture, obviously. And that's why we turn to this passage. And, and this is why I want to spend some time in this passage. I, I really was going to take and do this one chapter, 67 verses, all in one sermon, but it just couldn't be done. There's too much rich material here. That We have this servant of Abraham, and he's the quintessential servant. He is exactly what we should think of when we think of a servant of God. And the whole focus of this passage, or chapter, is upon this servant. And he's been given this task to find a, uh, a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. And so we're comparing. We're comparing ourselves to... We're comparing his servanthood to Abraham with our servanthood to God. And we're, we're looking at things like this because we need to see if we are good servants of God. This is the way, we, this is the way we're going to be able to see. Now, there's one little caveat that I, I have to throw in here is that we can't be objective. We can't really trust ourselves to determine what a good servant is. Um, we're not reliable. Because we tend to read our own ideas into Scripture. So we have to first start with the principles of Scripture and then look at the example. This is the example. The Old Testament uh, example is an example. We see these principles taught to us in the New Testament, actually, throughout the rest of Scripture. And so it has to start with the principles so that we can uh, inform our mind then how to, best, how to best judge whether this man is a good servant or a bad servant. And, and so we're using primarily the teaching of Christ and His parables, what a good servant is, and we're looking at these things, and we're evaluating this servant of Abraham and we see that he is a good servant. But the principles start in Scripture, not in our own heads. We don't just make up, well, this is what I think of a good servant. No, we're, the teaching is found in Scripture first, and the example then is found here. So what are the characteristics of a good servant? Number one, a good servant realizes, we, we looked at last week, a good servant realizes that he is under obligation. The very term servant implies that they are under obligation to serve another and to, to give over their will to the master's will because they know they're going to be accountable. There's accountability there. If we want to, if we want to hear the words, well done, now good and faithful servant, when we get to heaven, then we must be like Christ and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Number two, a good servant is one that a master can trust with great responsibility. A good servant is one that the master can trust with great responsibility. Eleazar here, the, the name of the servant, is uh, he had, it says he ruled everything, in, uh, everything that Abraham owned. Now, he didn't start out with that responsibility. He earned that. He gained that responsibility to the point now he is choosing a wife for Abraham's uh, son, 
And that's great responsibility. But he showed himself a good servant uh, at first, and, and then he was raised to that, to that level. And we see the principle in the New Testament. Same, same principle. Christ said, Christ told us, if we grow in our servanthood, we will gain more and more responsibility. God gives us over more responsibility. The older we become in the faith, the more responsible that we can become as servants. Good servants don't retire. They gain more responsibility. A church depends upon the older people in the church for, for wisdom and skill. That's an important principle. Number three. Number three. Now, this is new to this week. A good servant focuses upon the master's desire. A good servant focuses upon the master's desire, not just his command. There's a difference here, and I want you to understand that difference. There's a, the desire of the, the master is, is, can be one thing. It's expressed in a very narrow way with just a command, do this. Well, there's a whole lot of desire behind that command. Let's go to number, uh, verse number 3 here. Let's look back at the storyline. We see in verse 3, I will make, your, make you swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now, he's taken an oath. This is a very serious thing. This isn't just a commonplace thing. Abraham, this is obviously important to him. And they would, at that time, instead of placing their hand on a Bible like we would today, something sacred, and then swearing by that. No, he's going to swear by the name of Yahweh, but place his hand under his thigh. Now, I don't know why they did that. That was important uh, at that time. That was just part of the culture. But this was obviously a, a serious thing and the and the servant picks up on that. That this is, this is important to Abraham. And he says, you shall not, and the, the, the oath then is stated in the negative, you shall not take a wife from, for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my land and to my kin and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, that's a long distance. This is a, a heavy uh, task here. I mean, it, you're talking about 450 to 500 miles of travel to, to do this. And one tank of water for a camel is 25 gallons. That's what they tell us. And this is no easy task to do. So he knew that this is going to be a major thing. It's important to Abraham. And he had to have a fuller understanding of what Abraham wanted him to do. So he, he asked for some more, uh, an explanation. He wanted to know why. So look at verse 5. The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I, take, should I indeed take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware lest you take my son back there. Now notice that there's some strong language there. Yahweh, the, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kin and spoke to me and who swore to me saying, to your seed, that would be Isaac, I will give this land. And he will, now that's Yahweh, he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son 
from there. But, verse 8, but if the woman is unwilling to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So you can see the emphasis that Abraham is putting upon this. And so in verse 9 we see, so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham's master and swore to him concerning the matter. Now, obviously it was important to Abraham. And so the, the, the servant then wanted to ask questions to, to establish. You see what's going on there is establishing priorities, establishing what's important to Abraham. There's three things that that is obviously important. Number one, not to take a wife from from the Canaanites here. Now, he wanted to, to go back, go back to the land. And, and that's number two, to, to go back to the kin. So don't take a wife from the Canaanites. That's one. Go back to my kinfolk. At least Abraham knew Abraham had a, a godly father, at least a godly influence in that in that family. And so at least there's more godliness there. I mean, he, he could not trust the, the daughters of the Canaanites there. And so go back to my kin. And then number three is don't take Isaac back there. Don't take Isaac with you. And what we see there is the tie then to the promise of God. The covenant that God had made with Abraham that I'm going to give you this land and this is the land that that your uh, uh, progeny is going to inherit as well. So Yahweh then it, it ties into the very covenant of God. Now, what you see, what's happening here. Because the servant is inquiring, because the servant wants to know the master's will. He's wanting to know exactly what, what do you want in Abraham? I want to see, understand your priorities. He's beginning to ask these questions and he's beginning to understand more clearly what Abraham wants. And what you have is the master's will, and that's Abraham, now is lining up with the servant's will. And those two are lining up with, with God's will. You see that? Because he's asking questions, he knows now Abraham's desires. He knows how to please Abraham now. And now, because Abraham is serving the Lord, then they both, all three of the minds are all together, all three of the wills are are pushing for the same thing. That's an important thing for the servant, for any servant. He can have confidence that God is going to lead this thing. If this is God's will, this is what God wants. God doesn't want Isaac to go back there. This is what God wants. He is pushing this. Then he's going to send an angel. He's going to send the angel. He'll he'll lay the path out for you. Don't trust in your own understanding, but lean on God's understanding and he will make your paths straight. It's going to be clear. It's going to be clear. That's the idea. And, And if the young lady is not willing to come, then the oath is is broken. But they're guaranteeing success. And it's, and it's because this wise servant is inquiring of what, what exactly does Abraham want here? Now, he could have just taken one camel, hopped on the camel, just done it himself, gone up, got to uh, Abraham's uh, kinfolk, or, or at least that area. Nobody would have known the difference. And uh, just grabbed any old wife and came back. Now, that's what he could have done. That's what he could have done. But he didn't do that. 
He, he clarified. He wanted to know what's the master wanting here. He wants to please the master. That, that was his desire. And ultimately he wanted to please God. That's, that's the bottom line. He was like Christ. Christ, the servant of God, he, he said, I came to do the will of my Father. He said, when times were, were tough, when, when he was facing the cross, he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's a good servant. That's a characteristic of a good servant. But he has to know his master's will so that he can surrender that will. He's not just, not just barely obeying his heart's not in it, but he's there, he's obeying. No, he understands fully what the master wants. There's a big difference, folks. There's a big difference. There's just button pushers. There's people who are just detached. People who, um, uh, you know, give me a few commandments and, and I'll, I'll see what I can do. Or there's those who want to please the master. And... Like I said, there's a big difference. As some saying, what the, what the big difference is, is caring, right? The, the button pusher, he doesn't care. He'll just, okay, you tell me what to do, and I'll do these things, and don't ask me to get involved. Don't, don't ask me to really care. Those who want to please the master care. They, they care what the master thinks. It's the difference between a job and a career. Something that you're trying to build. A job you just go, you clock in, you clock out. At the end of the day, I, I've, uh, I've done what I needed to do. There's a big difference. And it comes down to work ethic is what we call it today. A work ethic. Now, that ties then to us as servants of God. If we're serving God, what's our work ethic here? What's a good work ethic? This guy had a good work ethic. He could have just been a button pusher. He could have just gone up and picked any old wife. Or, or maybe snuck Isaac up there and said, look, man, I don't know what kind of wife you want. Just, uh, just pick one. No, didn't do that. He understood what the master wanted. And folks, that's, that's a huge difference between this secular kind of Christianity that we have today and a godly Christianity. It is. Or the Christianity that we find in Scripture. And the difference is, the Christianity we find in Scripture wants to please God. Not just get by. They want to please God. The most important thing is, is pleasing God with their life. A button pusher is just name only. Just give me a few commands. I'm a good moral person. Don't push me. Don't push me to, to, to try to please God. No. Don't push me in that direction. The principle is, is here's this. this. Those who don't care to please their master, they don't love the master. Let me say that again. If you don't care to please God, and that's not the desire of your heart, then you don't love God. And I'm afraid we have a Christianity. Dave mentioned it earlier. That we have a Christianity that doesn't really love God. They're playing Christianity. They're playing church. They're not driven by the idea or by the, by the uh, desire to please the Master. And that shows their heart. They don't, really, they don't really love the Master. But those who want to please God, what do they do? They ask questions. 
they, they find out it really comes down to what do you, how do you handle the Word of God? Do you take it seriously? Do you really want to know God's will here? Do you really want to know what pleases God? Or just, just show me a, a few commandments that, that I can get by with and, and I'll be good. Or, or do you pursue this Word and, and say, Lord, how can I please you today? And that's, that's a huge difference. And it really is going to come down to this war that we have between, and within Christianity. It's going to come down to what do you do with the Word of God? That's where the, the war is, is fought today. So we are here to please our Heavenly Father. Principle number four. Principle number four. A good servant wisely uses his master's resources to carry out his master's plan. Look at verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he went with all kinds of good things of his master's in his hand. So he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor, and he made a camel. He made the camels. That's an intentional, deliberate act. He made the camels kneel down outside the wall, outside the city, for by the well of water at evening time, the time when the young or when the women go out to draw water. Now, what you see here is instant obedience. We can't just not acknowledge that. But he went right to the master's. Will, he began right away, instant obedience, but he has a plan. He has a plan. He makes the distance, um, and he has a plan. And if you want young women, you have to go where the young women are. And that's what he's, that's what he's attempting to do here. Then it's kind of common sense. The Lord gives us a, just common sense. There's common law that, that God has built into his creation. And he's using wisdom here. And, and it's a brilliant plan. It's very clever. This is a, a wise servant. He was wanting to be careful, to narrow down, to, to help to select what uh, this woman that God would have for Isaac. Um, and, and he was just using some common sense to do that. And he had this plan. But he also knew that it was going to cost. And he, he says right, right away, you begin to see, he took ten camels. Now, obviously, he had a crew with him. And, and ten camels is, is kind of over the top. You don't really need ten camels. I mean, it's a long distance, but he took ten camels. What, what's going on here? Can you imagine all these camels being, uh, you know, laying down outside the city wall at the, around the well? or close to the well, that's going to be an impressive thing. People are going to say, hey, who's that? What's going on here? This is, this is something that's very important here. And he's, it says, and the key phrase, I think, is that he's essentially, these are resources of his master. It says it twice, camels of his master, all kinds of good things of his master. Now, what's happening here? What he is doing, he understands this. This is a wise servant. What he is doing reflects on his master. He is showing what his, his master is like. That his master has wealth here. Um, this is not just 
any old wife that he is looking for, but he's wanting a wife of value, and he knows it's going to cost. That's the principle there, young ladies. You are valuable. We see that in Scripture. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Proverbs chapter 30, we see her, we see her, her worth is greater than rubies, more valuable than, than rubies. Young ladies, there's a wealth that is put into you by a godly family. And you need to keep that in mind and not just give yourself away. But there's, there's a cost here. And this servant knows that. He doesn't just want any old woman or any old wife or any young woman. He wants God's woman. And he knows it's going to come at a cost. And the Lord, his master, had these resources And He's showing those resources. We see those resources. People can see those because it reflects on the Master. Now, let's compare that then to being a servant of God. The Lord has given us resources. He's given us, as His servants, everything that we need to be good servants for Him. And what we do, the way we live our life, reflects who? Reflects our Master. And His resources. And what He can do to a life and, and change a life. Now, some people today, they don't reflect well on our Master. They, they don't reflect God as a, a good shepherd. He is a poor shepherd. But look what the Lord has given us. And the, the, the list is on the... On the screen there for you. Here's what the Lord's given. This is just a few that just came to my mind. I, I didn't. I didn't search this thing out. We can go probably a hundred of these these things. But He's given us His promise, and I, I want to read this one for First Second um, Timothy chapter three, because I think this is a good place to start. In chapter three and verse um, seventeen, to the end of that chapter, He says uh, He's talking about the Word of God, the, how valuable it is that all Scripture is God breathed. He gave it. From God Himself, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. He has gifted us. If you're a servant of God, He has given you everything that you need for every good work. That's pretty major. Anything that you would need to build His kingdom, to be a good servant of His, He's gifted you with that. And it's really through His Word, if you look at the context of that. In Ephesians chapter 1, you see every spiritual blessing has been given to you. Second Peter, another one I want to turn to. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 3 says, says this, that chapter 2 and verse 3, and in their greed, Second Peter chapter 2 verse 3, Mm, might not be the right one. And um, let me go to the next one. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He's given us a hope inside that will not die. In the second Peter passage, what we see is that He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. He has gifted that. Now listen, why has He gifted us with these things? 
So that we can reflect Him. So that we can point to Him. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're given the keys to the kingdom. That's pretty valuable. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. We see that, that the Holy Spirit is... He's gifted us with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can develop character in our life. Chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gift. He's given us spiritual gifts so that we have the ability then to love others. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. We have been given all grace. No grace that's been withheld. And then chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. is He's given us the ability to pray. That, that ability, that, that gift of communicating with Him. And He says, anything that you ask, I'll give it. If you're pursuing My kingdom, if you, this is the desire of your heart, and you're pursuing these things, He says, ask, and, and it'll be given to you. And what a wonderful resource we have. So often, so many Christians are so down. And you look at them. And you think, what kind of God do you serve? Do you serve a God that has resources, plenty of resources? Let me show you one verse. This is just a a chide from James. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive. So the the Christians there are asking, The Lord's not providing providing for me. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend, you may spend it on your own pleasure. That's what we do so often. The Lord gives us resources, and we think it's about us. But but the reality, it's about our servanthood to God. It's not about us. And James says, you spend it on your own pleasure. So the, the Lord gives us, and we're to be good stewards. We see that in First Peter chapter four, second First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're to be good stewards of what we have. The Lord gives you a body. We're to use that body for His glory. For His service. And not just for our own pleasure. So that we could just fill that body up with all kinds of, all the food that we want. That we can dress any old way we want. No, He says you need to dress your body in a way that's modest. That reflects God. You can't just change your gender at your own will. You can't just eat everything that you want to eat or do everything that you want to do. Our bodies are given to us to serve the Lord. What about our money? Our money was given to us to serve the Lord. God provides these things for us. But James says we, we consume it. We consume it on our own pleasure. The Lord's not going to just give us His resources when we just consume it on our own pleasure, our, our money. I, I um, Talking about gambling the other day. This is one of the reasons I, I don't like gambling. Because the Lord gives us money, and then we, we squander it away. We, we just uh, kind of play it away. And you can do it on not just gambling, but a whole lot of other things. And then when it comes time to need that money, then we don't have it. And the Lord said, well, I gave it to you. What did you do with it? You squandered it. When you need it, it's, it's not there. And, and, and I think sometimes I just think 
Christians are not good stewards. The Lord's given us a, a mind, too. A mind. A mind so that we can discern. But so often we, we overanalyze foolish things. There's this whole horror, horror uh, element of society. We're kind of drifting into this. It, it's very, very dark. It's something that just, it just corrupts the mind. It, it is so kind of just demonic. Or, or, or we follow after mysticism or superstition. Just lies from Satan. And we don't use our minds the way God has uh, called us to. To, to uh, renew our minds and to take every thought captive. And to have discernment about our life. We just pursue foolish things, silly things, goofy things that the world would just pursue. As opposed to being a good servant, a steward of what God has given us. To have a well-trained mind, sharp, that has the discernment necessary to distinguish right from wrong, good from evil. He's also given us focus. And just think about that. What a, what a gift, something that we don't think about. Just the ability to focus on, on one thing. And, and folks, what do we do with that? In our sinfulness, we focus on ourselves. We don't focus on God. Don't focus on others. Just focus on ourselves. And unfortunately, that's, that's kind of the way we are. We use up God's resources. And then when we don't have those resources, we cry out to God, Oh Lord, why are you not providing? Oh Lord, why are you not a good shepherd? Oh, Lord, what, what, what's going on here? Why, why are you not giving to me? And the Lord says, what kind of servant is that? It's a poor servant. It's a servant that's not using, it's not a good steward of what God has provided. Well, Abraham's servant here used Abraham's resources in the right way to, to fulfill the, the master's desire there. And we have... A lot of Christians today, I'm afraid, that don't reflect well on our master. A good servant is, uses wisdom and using the master's resources and the master's plan. Let me just give you one more real quick. Number five, a good servant is dependent upon God. A good servant is dependent upon God. Now, notice this. Go back to our passage, verse 12. And he said, this is Abraham's servant, says, Oh, Yahweh. Now, obviously, Abraham has had an influence on this servant. He says, Oh, Yahweh, the God of my master, Abraham. You see just humility there. Please cause this to happen today. Now, notice that. That's good theology. Oh, Lord, cause this to happen today. God, I know my theology informs me that you are a God that can cause the details of our life to, to happen just the way you want them to. And I pray that that happened today, before me today, and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. You see that? You see two things, good theology there, and you see love for the master, the master's wills first. Oh, Lord, show mercy, loving kindness to my master. Behold, I am standing. Now, here's this is just a plan. I am standing by the spring of water. And the daughters of the city are coming out to draw. Daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So this is the, the right time of day. This is the evening time when they would come, probably the cool. The younger uh, uh, ladies 
uh, within the household would be coming. They would have big heavy jars that the older women are not able to carry. These, uh, these ladies would come out. They would get their uh, water from the well and go back. And it was just, it was probably a, a fun time. They would kind of do it together and there's safety in numbers, but it would be a joy, uh, to, to just do that. It would be something that would be common. He says, now, this is going to happen. He says, now here's the request. Now, may it be that the young woman to whom I say, please give me, uh, please let down your jar so that I may drink and say, and she say, drink and I will give to your camel to drink also. May she be the one to whom, may she be the one you have decided for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know, by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. The principle here is a good servant is dependent upon God. He knows this is a prayer. The whole thing is a prayer. It's a good theology. It shows love for the master. It's a prayer. These are things that only God can do. He can, he can be wise and he can be smart and be at the right place at the right time and, and try to orchestrate these things, but he knows. There's things I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't orchestrate. The Lord will have to guide me. The Lord will have to uh, do these things. I have to trust in God, trust in Yahweh. And, and he had a, a relationship with Abraham enough to know that this God is a God to be trusted. This God can work in the affairs of, of man. And so he's looking for this distinction. Out of all the young ladies that are going to come, how am I going to distinguish the one that you want, God? He says, how will I know that I may know, he says. Just recognizing, oh Lord, I need help. He's trusting God here. And note, he's not looking for the funniest girl. He's not looking for the the cleverest girl, the smartest girl, the prettiest girl, the most athletic girl, the most congenial. No, he's looking for a godly girl. He's looking for a girl with character here, with grace. Now, there's a, there's a, a common element here that uh, any of the young women would probably say, hey, yeah, I'll give you a drink. But to say, yes, I'll give you a drink and then I'll, I'll give a drink to your camels. Now, think about that. Ten camels, 25 gallon. Per camel, it's a lot of, lot of water. That shows a good work ethic. That's, that's grace. That's hospitality. That, that's above and beyond. That's kindness. That's, that's godliness that can only be trained into these young ladies from a, from a godly family or the Holy Spirit working in that young lady. That's the, that's the woman for me, say. That's the girl that I want. Having that kind of godliness. He's looking for godly woman. God's woman. And he knows the heart of his master. He loves the heart of his master. And, and he's, he's wanting to see his master succeed. Now folks, that's a good example. That's a good servant. The church can learn from this, this guy. Because we have a, a church today, I think, is just pragmatic. Not really trusting God. Not really knowing what the master's will is. Not really doing what the master wants. No, they just step in and say, oh, God, we will build your church. And, and just use pragmatics to, to do it. Marketing strategies to, to do it. And whatever else they can, they can draw, do, use to, to draw 
people in. And it doesn't reflect well on the master. And it goes against what we see, the teaching, the principles we see in the New Testament, that Christ will build his church. In Matthew chapter 28, just to remind you of this passage, you know it, that we are told to baptize them as they come into the church, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in what? Teaching them. Teaching them. Now, you know, what we have today is a church that, that's trying to attract the, the young crowd so that the young crowd can, can kind of lead the church. What's the coolest? What's the, what's the thing that you want? What's the direction you want to go? What's the, the coolest trends? The newest direction of, of society. And, and you have this church that's progressing uh, towards something. And what's leading that, what is driving that is, is just young people. And we are to teach them. As people come into the church, it says to, to teach them. What do you teach them? Teach them to love the Master. Teach them that, that to do God's will, to do God's work, God's way. That's what we teach them. We teach them to submit to, to God and, and move that direction. New Christians, as they're coming into the church, they're, they're not the ones leading the church. It's the, the established church. Why? Because we pursue truth. We pursue wisdom. We pursue faithfulness, not fads. Not the latest and greatest. We have an anchor. And it's the character of God, God's Word, the very nature of God. And we learn what pleases the Master. And that's what we do. We, we pray, we depend upon the Master. And then we lead, and we step out and, and say, Oh Lord, here's our plan. Oh Lord, you, you have to work. There's so many things that we can't control. And, and what you see is a, a, good, a good servant here. And the Lord, the Lord, will, he'll, he doesn't drive a, a parked car. When you don't do anything, there's nothing to, to be done. But we step out and we, we make disciples. We, we keep doing what we're, we're called to do. And we, and we entrust the Lord. We say, Lord, oh Lord, help us. That's what we do as good servants. Our focus is the desire of our Master, the resources our Master gives us. And now it's just a dependence upon our Master. And the question we have to ask, each one of you has to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself, are you a good servant? Are you a good servant? We live our lives from the perspective of a servant of God. He identifies us, He labels us as His servants. And we have to let that label stick in our life. Let's go to the Lord our prayer in prayer. Father, we thank You for the reading of Your Word. Thank You for just unpacking this passage. What a wonderful example. What a wonderful example of a good servant. Lord, may we serve you like, like Eleazar served Abraham with love, proper understanding of your will, and a desire to please you, Lord. May, we, may that be the direction of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.